Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's show, George Plaster of Nashville Sports Radio will join us. We will talk about Vanderbilt's interesting basketball weekend and take some questions from the mailbag. The news is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help, and please tell me you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Vanderbilt picked up a much-needed basketball win in Mississippi State. Your final from Starkville, Vanderbilt 72, Mississippi State 51. Scotty Pippen Jr. leads the way with 18 points and 9 assists. Max Evans leads the team in scoring. Cleavon Brown adds 15 points and 5 steals. And Dylan DeSue adds 8 points and 10 rebounds. The Commodores now 6-10 overall. 2-8 in the Southeastern Conference. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. George Plaster appears on our guest line. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins me. George, of course, a longtime sports talk radio host in Nashville. He now has a show from 2 to 4 every day at Nashville Sports Radio. George, thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a great weekend. Chris, I am, and uh, I hope everybody is safe because I got a feeling over the next 48 hours, boy, it's going to be dicey around here. It is, and I've discovered that our puppy, the colder it is and wetter it is, the more he likes it outside. So that's been an interesting day in the Lee household. Well, you know what? Better him than me. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, when when the walks happen... They are long walks, so that all falls on me. But in any case, uh, it was an interesting weekend around Vanderbilt basketball for sure. I guess that's a good way to start this. Yeah, I think it's fair to say uh, that it was. Um, 
Jerry Stackhouse got everybody's attention Friday uh, with a story that uh, got out there. And then uh, the team played very well in Starkville, got a big road win. And uh, so good for them. Yeah. And Jerry was the focus of weekend conversation, probably will be the focus of a lot of the podcast here this weekend. I'm going to say four nice things about Jerry Stackhouse to start the podcast, and you tell me what you think about this, okay? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll just do these one at a time. First of all, his team got a really nice win on Saturday, beating Mississippi State. I believe it was 72-51, to 51, and I thought his team played really well. Let's start there. Yeah, they got a big boost early. Uh, Scotty Pippen absolutely went off early. And uh, for a team that, you know, needs confidence, uh, needs to have some good things happen, that was a great way to get that started. Yeah, wins like that, I mean, wins have been scarce to begin with. I think that's the biggest win in terms of margin of victory against the SEC in the last three years, and of course that one happened on the road. Number two, I thought he came up with some really nice defensive adjustments that worked well. I don't know that Mississippi State was expecting those things. I thought they did a lot of trapping inside the half court that was effective. State scored 51 points. It's not that often in this day and age that you see a team held to that few points, and I thought that was a feather in his cap too. Absolutely. Um, I think he maybe dipped into a little bit of the Carolina playbook uh, for some of that trapping. You remember when Eddie Fogler was here, they did an awful lot of trapping. And what they would do is use either the midcourt line or the sideline as a second or a third defender. And they were always getting things to happen because of the trap. And so he may have gone into the Carolina playbook a little bit for that. Number three, I think this is two years running where his teams have not quit on him. I don't know that you could say the same about the previous head coach. In fact, I'm pretty sure you couldn't. Uh, There was some concern earlier in the year that morale had gotten bad, but let's give the guy credit. I think that they have played reasonably well. They haven't always won, Uh, but I thought, again, that they're showing Saturday on the road in the midst of a dismal season uh, makes a little bit of a statement. I think that's where you give Jerry Stackhouse perhaps his highest marks is the fact that, you know, for two years running where they really have not done a lot of winning, that they have never pitched in the towel. And I think that's a really good sign. If you're looking for good signs on Jerry Stackhouse, I think that's at the top of the list. Number four, I would say I do think he knows basketball. I don't think anybody thinks Jerry is stupid. I don't believe that at all. Uh, I will also say I think he's done a nice job in developing players. He had two guards that left the program and went to the NBA. I think he's developed Scottie Pippen Jr. into more than one anybody more than anybody had imagined when he came here. Uh, so again, I, I think that Jerry deserves a lot of credit for those things too. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, not that I'm, you know, wild about the direction of where it's been over the last two to three years, but there's no doubt he can coach. Uh, you you could see that very early. Um, I, I'm not sure I always uh, 
am wild about some of the rhetoric. Uh, I'm not sure all of it's really all that necessary. But as far as the coaching ability, you know, I think there's something there. Um, you know, to to what level is this all going to play out? Who knows? But can he coach? Yeah, I think he can. All right, with that out of the way, what in the world was he thinking with the stuff he said to Joe Rexrode? Well, I don't really know. Um, as I've brought up on the podcast before, I've never met Jerry. So I don't really know a lot about where he's coming from. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I'm just not really sure what is to be gained uh, by where he went. I guess I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I... He made some comments after the game that clarified that that he was only talking about media. I don't think that makes it a lot better. Uh, Look, I think if we have learned anything this year, it's that you never know what another guy is going through, right? And so if, if Jerry Stackhouse has experienced some sort of racism or mistreatment, I think if I or somebody else knew anything about it, I think we'd be the first people to step up and say that's wrong. Uh, But to start throwing haymakers like that at people and naming names like Jeff Goodman, and and we may have a portion of this audience that doesn't like Jeff. And by the way, I don't think that he was just referring to Jeff. But certainly that was a name that was mentioned. I, I just couldn't believe in 2021, in that position, you do that to someone. Well, it certainly caught me off guard. And like I said, couple of minutes ago I'm not really sure I know what it is that he feels like he achieved with it but you make a good point in that I'm not black you're not black we've never walked in those shoes Uh, some of the things that we've learned over the last six to nine months in our country tell us that we don't always understand what the other person is thinking but I'm just not sure I know what he achieves out of getting that out there. No, I don't either. And I would like to underline the comments you just made. I have spoken to a lot of friends of mine in the last year and heard some stories that I did not know were realities for a lot of my minority friends. I think that you you always have to go into any conversation with that that a lot of people live in a different world than you do and I do. Um, And I don't ever assume my reality fits somebody else. But look, I have seen and heard and been the author of many public criticisms for him. They were all based in fact, or or at least opinion uh, that was grounded in fact. The, the, The fact is, his assistant coaching selections have not been criticized because of diversity. They've been criticized because of lack of experience. I don't think anybody cares about how many people he has on his staff, you know, in terms of administrative assistants and whatever, as long as the wins are coming. They're not. Uh, there is not a lot of evidence that, in a lot of cases, it's been a well-oiled machine. One of the main criticisms that people have is that Jerry's very arrogant that he doesn't have a lot of regard for experience and expertise, 
uh, in specifically, and, and because I think Jerry, Jerry brought this up, okay? So let's get the criticisms out there for what they are. Uh, a lot of people had a problem with him getting rid of David Grace and especially Ricardo Patton. Um, the, the word was that both of them had offered advice to him last year in various ways, thinking that that's the role of an assistant or an analyst. Jerry did not take well to it, from what I'm told, and, and both of them were gone by season's end and replaced by people who, frankly, don't have any experience in and around college basketball. Uh, one of the criticisms of Jerry, fairly or unfairly, is the perception that he wants to be the guy, he doesn't want to take suggestions from anybody, uh, and that he wants everybody to fall in line. That's where that stuff comes from, and you've heard the stories as well as I have. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Chris, it's been interesting because since this has come out, obviously we all do a lot of thinking when we hear this kind of thing. Uh, you know, where, where do we stack up in this kind of stuff? And I'll, I'll go back. It's been now almost 30 years since Wade Houston was the head basketball coach at the University of Tennessee. And the truth of it is he wasn't a very good basketball coach at all. And his record, uh, you know, sort of shows that. And by the end of that tenure, he had run that program into the ground. They were averaging no more than about three, 4,000 people, you know, for home games at Thompson Bowling. It had gotten so bad. And, you know, it, it was uh, it, it was very easy to be critical, uh, but that's sort of what we're paid to do is have opinions and try and back them up with stuff. But to say that any time you criticize a black coach and that automatically makes you racist, I, I'm, I'm not willing to go there. And uh, I, I know I know what's in my heart. And I know that that's not the case. Well, he's also paid $3 million a year plus to deal with it. I think that's something that most coaches understand. I don't think anybody would ask to would be asked to enjoy that part of it. But that's part of it. It seems to me like he spends an inordinate amount of time combing through Twitter, searching things about him, and sometimes not too far after games – and I'm just looking at and going, I don't know that that's the best use of your time uh, when you're sitting here with the team th that has won five SEC games in, in three years. Now, now, granted, that includes a winless season that wasn't his fault, but it also gives you an idea of the state of the program and how much somebody needs to be working overtime to fix it. That's what I don't understand. What is it that leads a coach to feel like, A, he's above criticism um, as long as it's fair, and everything I've seen is fair. If there's something out there that's not, uh, I'd, I'd like to see it, and maybe that's a different discussion. Uh, but that's part of the job, and with all the things that he needs to be spending his time on, I find it baffling that he spends that much time searching social media uh, to see what Joe Fan or Joe Journalist has to say. You know, I brought this up the last time we got together in a podcast, and I think this is one of these areas where Jerry uh, probably would be well-served, and it may well come out of the Carolina family tree. I don't know uh, enough about who his close friends are, but that we all at some point 
uh, in our lives really need, um, you know, maybe this is a little strong, a mentor, but somebody that we can bounce things off of. And I think right now it would behoove him to, to be able to find that kind of person who may tell him, listen, Jerry, you're, you're fighting a fight that doesn't need to be fought, that there's no winning and losing to this fight. And that would be not that he cares what I think, but that is what I think. Well, if we're being honest here, the biggest criticism of Jerry has been arrogance. And I think you've seen it manifest in different ways. Uh, there have been a lot of private statements made that they don't need the players that everybody else has because their schemes are going to be so good they're going to win that way. Uh, the other one has been, I think, in terms of his work week. He has been spotted at Legends. I'll give you a good quote, and, and this is what he's going to have to realize. That place is crawling with Vanderbilt boosters. And, I mean, he shows up at the golf course, and I get a text within minutes a lot of times. And as someone said to me, it's more notable, and this was in the summer, uh, it's more notable when he's not here than when he is. Um, you know, I, I know that the day they got the game canceled with A&M, he was out playing 18 at the Legends. It's that kind of stuff that he's got to realize. He's got boosters all over town and people who know who he is, who see things, and maybe he's putting in the time, but he's got a big perception problem with that. I don't know of any other coach in the NCAA who takes to the links the way he does during the season, and it's causing him a big problem because that gets back to people. And it's part of the whole being in the public eye. Um, I know that that was a real adjustment for me uh, years ago from just sort of an anonymous sports reporter to all of a sudden somebody who had a, a number one talk show in the market and, oh, by the way, is getting sued and, oh, by the way, seems to be on the front page a lot. It was a real adjustment for me. And I realized that there's certain freedoms that, you know, the average Joe has that somebody in the public eye does not. And I, I guess that would be maybe the point I would make about it. The thing that I would do if I were Vanderbilt, and I don't think they've got the leadership to do this, and I don't know that he's got the, the will to do this either, but I think that Jerry could go a long way in just coming out and saying, hey, we lost a lot of games here. We got a tough rebuild here, but we've lost a lot of games. And I get that people are frustrated. And, you know, so far I haven't, I, I haven't earned a lot in return and we made some mistakes, and there's some things we could do differently. I think that changing his staff and finding a couple assistants who spent 15 or 20 years in the D1 level would go a long way. And being willing to listen to those people, I just have some questions about whether that's in his makeup. I, I think Jerry's a smart guy, uh, but sometimes smart people are their own enemies, and you overestimate what your abilities are. And I think that one thing right there is the root of a lot of his issues because I don't think it's personal with him. Um, but but I think his arrogance continues to drive a lot of the things that are getting him criticism, and he's going to have to learn to hit the emergency brake on that pretty quickly uh, and get someone who's got some advice who, who can help him get that turned around. Absent that, I don't see how this gets fixed. And you know what? For him, I hope it does. I really do. I have nothing against the guy. Um, I, I don't like to root against people, but 
the way that he has got this set up and the attitudes that determine the way that he does a lot of things, I just don't think leave a lot of wiggle room for error. And you look at where they are, they had a great win, but they're still 2-8 and eight in the league. And probably four of their four, five final games are against teams that are going to make the NCAA tournament. So it's going to get tougher for him before it gets easier. You know, Chris, one of the things that uh, that goes on, and you hear this from time to time, that as the, the money on the coaching level has increased dramatically, and it all started when Steve Spurrier was at Florida and he got the million-dollar-a-year deal. And from that point, it's really escalated. And there's a feeling that a lot of what you're getting paid the big money for is to put up with this. Social media is so much different than it was years ago. Well, first of all, it didn't exist. That was kind of a dumb thing on my end to say, but it didn't exist back then. And that's an area where you get an awful lot of the conversation that's going. And coaches have got to really either tune it out or have very thick skin. And, you know, my hope for him is that as he grows into this job, that he'll get, you know, a thicker skin about some of this. Because right now, there's too much hair trigger, you know, here's a little criticism, boom. Well, look, let's be honest, too. This is about as easy a media market as you're ever going to find. I mean, coaches get treated like kid gloves in this town constantly. If he wants to be an NCAA coach, or I mean an NBA coach, or to take over at Carolina or something like that one day, if he can't handle this, I cannot imagine how it is going to go for him at the next level. Totally agree. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Totally agree with where you just went. All right, with that, let's go to the mailbag. That mailbag, excuse me, that is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshumintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his podcasts, or his business on this podcast. Guy 20 asks, if Vanderbilt were to fire Jerry Stackhouse after this season, could they or would the buyout be too high? I'm assuming the answer is yes without seeing the contract. Um, I've just got to go on the assumption that it's pretty darn steep. Yeah, I mean, what, if, if he's making $3 million a year and he's got four years left, I don't know if there is a provision that says that the buyout is less than the amount of the full contract, but you're quite possibly looking at an eight-figure sum. And frankly, one of the things that he said in the article, uh, one of the quotes that he said to Joe Rexrode was interesting because he made it very clear he wanted all of his money if it didn't work. Um, I don't know how he meant that, but that, that almost came across as uh, coupled with the other comments, okay, I, I, I dare you to get rid of me. I, 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 don't, I, don't know, I don't know what he was thinking when he made that comment. Well, I don't know where he benefits from it. Um, 
I mean, he put it out there, but I'm not sure I know what benefit it gets him. Uh, is it a warning? Is it a threat? I uh, don't know. And it's possible that he may not know either as he looks back on it uh, a day or two later. In the heat of battle, he may have ended up saying something he regretted. One of the things I learned, Chris, because I've always been the person that asked the questions, but when I was going through the legal stuff, suddenly I was the person getting asked the questions. And oftentimes I would ask a reporter, will you repeat what I just said to you? Because I want to make sure it comes out the way I want it to come out. That was one of the things I learned on the on the flip side of having always been the interviewer and suddenly becoming the interviewee that I needed to be able to hear what kind of stuff I was putting out there. Uh, yeah, I, I think the degree of self-awareness or concern uh, in this just seems to be almost nil. Um, well, I'll say this. Um, I think it's one of the areas that in the future he's going to have to be a little bit more careful than he has been. I'm not sure I understood what he what there was to gain uh, with what he said. Well, the comments did not come across as a guy who wanted to build long-term relationships with people around here. Didn't seem like it, but again, um, I... I you know, I, I've got to throw out there, I've never met him, so I don't really know. Uh, I, really, all I can do is just sort of guess, um, which is really about all I am doing. Next one comes from In Gold. Based on your experience within an athletic department, what is your take on what you've seen since Chancellor Daniel Deermeyer took the reins and how that relates to AD Candace Story Lee? In general, specifically, what do you realistically expect from Vanderbilt in marketing and facilities upgrade announcements? Well, on the on the facilities part, you keep hearing that sometime in the spring that they're going to, to make some announcements. Uh, and I hope that's the case because uh, certainly those things are needed. And I think the fan base needs to see something that gets them excited. I don't really have a clue on Deermeyer uh, other than some people that have been around him uh, give me the feeling that he does care about athletics. And I hope that's the case because never in the history of this school has that been needed more than it is now. Door King wants to know, is the basketball improving or was Saturday an anomaly? Hard to know. Um, you know, it's one game out of a much bigger sample size, you hope it's the beginning of something better. And the track record from a year ago was that toward the end, they did get better. And as you brought up earlier in the podcast, one of the best things you can say about them is they don't look like they pitched in the towel. Does that mean they're going to get a lot better? I don't know. And you pointed out their schedule down the stretch is really pretty tough. Uh, a lot of the better teams in the league suddenly show up, and so it's not going to be a piece of cake for sure. Here how is, is that for dodging. How yeah, is that for dodging the question. Well, here will be an attempt to answer that as objectively as possible. Okay, sitting in front of me 
is Vanderbilt's Ken Pomeroy profile. The Commodores were 126 coming into the season. That ranking got as high or as low as 137 after or before Alcorn State. That was after the Davidson game. Uh, the blowout to Florida happened. The Commodores sitting at 144 and then hovered in the 130s for a while, got blown out by Arkansas, went all the way up to 149. That's the worst the Commodores have been all year. Uh, heading into the South Carolina game, that ranking was 142. Heading into Georgia, 129. Heading into Auburn, 130. Heading into Mississippi State, 132. And that game zoomed them up the rankings all the way to 113. So, yes, there's according to this, Vanderbilt is 13 spots better than it was supposed to be. It's 19 spots better than it was supposed to be last game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think according to this, the answer has been there has been some improvement. Uh, of course, the record also 2-8 and eight in the conference, and people want to see wins. And the other question is, is that enough? I mean, I don't think anybody expected them to be world beaters at this stage of the game. I mean, I said coming the year, if they could avoid finishing 14th in the league, that might be somewhat of an accomplishment. Um, I think improvement is one thing, improvement that makes a difference and provides uh, more hope for long term. And I think the biggest concern right now is the recruiting class they're bringing in for next year is not a stellar one. Uh, so I, I think the question is that they improved. Yeah, it seems like they have. Um, is that combined with where the future looks clear enough to get people feeling great about the program. I think that's where your issue lies. I don't think anybody feels great about the program. Uh, do they find a silver lining from time to time? Maybe. A couple of things that strike me. Number one, if he does come back for a third year, I think it's vital that he get off to a much better start in the SEC. I just don't think they can keep going over January kind of record and expect to have people excited about the program. The other thing, it seems to me, is they're getting virtually nothing productivity-wise on the inside. And at some point, that's going to have to change about that program. They are going to have to, whether it's transfer portal or however they end up doing it, they got to get somebody who's a threat inside. Because until they do that, gosh, it makes it hard on the guards. HMHS asks, does Scotty Pippen Jr. remind you of a Vanderbilt player from the days you were at Vanderbilt and or the broadcaster? That's a good question. I'll, I'll toss it back at you. Anybody you're thinking of? No. I, I mean, the, the closest comp to me is Derek Wilcox, and they weren't anywhere close to the same player. Uh, maybe Saban Lee's probably a better one. I think Scotty is smoother with the ball and smoother with his shot. Now, I think Saban was a better athlete um, and probably went at it a little bit harder on defense. But to me, he's a very unique player for them and an excellent one at that. See if you would buy this. If you had asked me a year ago, would Scotty Pippen Jr. get to the level that he's at right now? I would have said absolutely not. I didn't see it to this level. I'm very impressed. 
Well, I think a lot of people weren't probably paying attention much by season's end, and hard to blame them when the team starts 0-10 or whatever it was in the SEC. Uh, a lot of people just lose interest. But you started to see it at the end of the year. I will give you his game logs, uh, some that caught my eye. Um, He had – I didn't realize this. He had double-figure point production his last six games uh, with the high of 20 against Georgia. He ain't, No, I'm sorry. He had 21 against South Carolina in their last win and then got 16 against Arkansas in the tournament. So the last – Six games, he was in double figures every night, uh, had some three and four assist games. So I think that he started to turn it on at that point. Uh, but again, when you're oh for whatever to start the SEC, maybe people don't notice as much. Yeah, and that includes me. I didn't realize toward the end uh, that he was that much better. Good for him. Tell you one thing, he uh, I, I don't know exactly what he's thinking as far as his future but he may be making himself a lot of money uh with what he's showing people yeah i don't know if he is a draftable nba prospect at this point but having said that saban lee wasn't considered that at this time last year either now i think saban's a lot more athletic like i said and probably defends better so it's not an apples to apples comparison. So there's you know, but of course, being Scottie Pippen's kid probably doesn't hurt you either. I was about to say that that if all things are equal, you know, having that last name, the the name Pippen in the basketball world, that'll probably get you something better than having the last name Plaster. <laughs> uh Let's see, not this many one. scouts at the Green Hills Y. No, there are not. Uh, I don't think you ever got any offers that were more lucrative than radio. But, no, uh, the, the best offer I ever got was dinner at the box seat. <laughs> hey, that's that's more than I've gotten on the basketball court. So, <laughs> GLH4VU says, can we expect these games to keep coming from Max Evans? Evans had 20 Saturday, and of course, two games ago, uh, what was it, 29 points against South Carolina. So Max Evans has been a real key for them in these two wins. Well, here's where, you know, the, and you hear this a lot in baseball, what's the book on a certain hitter? To me, the book on Evans has been, if he hits one of his first two shots, look out, you might really have something. And if he doesn't look out the other way, you probably don't. Um, they sure could use a streak where he really gets consistently into double digits because he becomes kind of a third score that they could really use. I'm looking at his career stat line or his career game lines. I don't think he has ever scored double figures in three straight games. His best stretch, let's see, he got... This year, his best stretch back-to-back was 29 against Carolina, followed by 10 against Georgia. Last year, he went before his 31-point game. He had nine. He had another stretch where he had 12 one game and 16 another game about a month before that. And he went for 
15 and 16 against Southeastern Louisiana, back-to-back games last year. Let's see, his sophomore year, he had a 10-point game and a 16-point game back-to-back. That was out of conference. And his freshman year, he didn't put together any back-to-back double-figure games. So for Evans to put together something like we have seen uh, would take something we haven't seen. Yeah. And uh, whether it's fair or not fair, kind of the book is, tell me how he does on his first couple of shots. Yeah, well, I, I think the stat was, I think he was one for 18 on threes at one point this year. I mean, he started the Valpo game, and I think he was, I want to say, four of six from three. And then, well, excuse me, no, it was three of five to be exact. And then he went, goodness, seven games without hitting one, hit one, doesn't hit one the next game, and then it's two back-to-back games against Arkansas and Florida. So that lends something to what you said, that it seems to be, a confidence thing for Max Evans. Yeah, and you, you get that with a lot of shooters. Uh, the night, whatever it was a year ago uh, against LSU, my God, he couldn't have missed. the The ball must have se- the goal must have seemed like a football goalpost because that night it was unreal. And yet, there hasn't been enough of that to really, you know, make a huge difference. But, boy, if he ever did start to get consistent, whew, he could help that team a bunch as a third score. Yeah, he hit seven in that game, and then he's never – I think he had a five three-pointer game. That was against Carolina a couple weeks ago. He never hit more than four other than that, which that's that's a lot of threes, right? Five and seven are significant. But, again, it's been just a a really odd career for him. GLH4VU says, given that Vanderbilt has not filled out the roster for next year with recruits, is there any chance uh, a senior stays for the extra COVID year? Um, I, I don't think either there's no for sure, uh, but I'm not expecting it. Well, you know, one of the reasons you don't is just because of the lack of winning. And a player sits there and says, okay, can this be an, if I come back, can this be an incredibly special year? And, you know, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be the issue with them is, is what's it look like going forward? Um, Ann Arbor door says historically Vanderbilt basketball has largely done well with players who stayed their entire four years. That changed a bit during the Stallings years as he had four players who left early for the pros. Do either of you feel it's realistic to field a men's basketball team in the SEC today that regularly goes around 500 in the SEC without at least one player on the roster who has the talent to leave early for either the D-League or the NBA? Wow. That sounds like a great talk show topic is what it sounds like because basketball has changed. You know, I used to believe, uh, I used to kind of ask myself, why does Kentucky need to do it this way? They're plenty good enough as it is to just out recruit people and get the four year guy or the three year guy or whatever. But then you look around and the truth of it is Krzyzewski was doing the exact same thing. 
um, you know, he, he basically has become Kentucky number two, taking all these kids that are going to be there one year. It's a great question. I'm not sure I've got the answer to it um, because things have really changed in basketball in recent years. They just have. And, I, you know, I don't know that I got the answer on it. Well, I'll give you a really good example is what Rick Barnes did at Tennessee a couple years back. Now, I think Rick hit the lottery with that one, right? I think that finding kids that were that under-recruited and that many of them blowing up. But they were smart kids, too. Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, you know, kids that, that stayed out of trouble, that, that were very intelligent. Um, I think he had a good mix of players on that team. And you didn't. You had a lot of guys that were all SEC type players that didn't declare for the draft early. I, I think it can be done um, now because we can cite an example. Because we can cite an example or two, it uh, doesn't mean it's easy to do. I, I look at Florida. I think that Mike White has had some pretty good teams uh, with a lot of kids who were really good college players and maybe borderline pro players. Maybe if I looked at that a little more in depth maybe that would fall apart. Alabama, Nate Oates is doing the same thing. So I think you look around and you can find some examples in the right places. And typically I would think uh, that should be something that is easy for Vanderbilt to pull off as anyone. Yeah. You know, when when you bring up Alabama, I saw the uh, on one of the telecasts earlier today, um, the NCAA comes out now with, in mid-February, here's how, you know, seeds one through four look. I have no idea why they do it. I, I don't think it really makes a lot of sense other than they're just trying to drum up a little more interest. But Bama right now is a two seed, and why shouldn't they be? Man, they have – you talk about getting people's attention. Holy cow. This is not Alabama football. This is Alabama basketball. And Nate Oates is in his second year. He's now he was left a better lot than Jerry was for sure, uh, but Nate really gets after it in recruiting. I, I think he spends a lot of time looking for, uh, you know, a lot of hidden advantages and things, and, and is a very numbers based guy. I mean, I, I think that's one of the issues for Jerry is you see some guys around the league who, in year two, Eric Musselman, another one, just really getting it done to where they've really upped their level of play. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Vanderbilt has improved. Um, certainly, the situation is much better than it was this time two years ago. Uh, but if you really want to look like a, a guy who's a go-getter, um, who's really changing the face of the program in a way that fans are excited for the next couple of years, I think those are two really good places to look. Yeah, somebody's going to go after Oates um, and just sort of say, okay, is he really willing to stay at Alabama long-term when whatever school may be offering has the bigger basketball name? Um, it's funny the differences between football and, and uh, basketball, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Although I think that that's, you know, that there's some jobs that aren't bad by virtue of being number two. Um, you know, at Alabama, although, I mean, I say that, they fired Avery Johnson after, what, three or four years, and, and Mark Gottfried, of course, got dismissed after having some success. But I don't know that it's always the worst thing to be a guy who can win at a level where you can get a two seed 
in the NCAA tournament uh, at a school where the talk shows are hitting football ad nauseum, you know, in the middle of the SEC tournament? Football, spring football, then hoops. You forgot and, recruiting. Okay, make it <laughs> make it number four. Exactly. That's more uh, like it. Yeah. Bighorn silly of me. <laughs> right. You should know better. Uh, Bighorn Sheep says, we know you're close to Kevin Stallings. Does he keep up with Vanderbilt hoops all these days? And if so, what does he think of it since he's left? You know, uh, he and I really have not talked at all about that. I actually went and watched Kevin throw batting practice about two weeks ago to his son, Jacob, and to Phil Goslin, who like three days later signed a free agent contract uh, with the Angels. But I haven't really, I haven't talked a lot of basketball with him at all um, since then. But his arm was in good shape. I'll say that for him. For him. Um, and his son has become quite a story, too. So, uh, Bighorn Sheep says, one more. What was the more spectacular performance, Shane Foster's senior night or Kumar Rocker's no-hitter? Ooh, God. Talk about a talk show question. Well, the no-hitter will always, just because of it being a no-hitter in an NCAA tournament game, will always, um, you know, probably rank number one. But I'll say this. That place that night, that was old Memorial Gym. Maybe the last time we've really seen it to that level. God, what a what a show he put on. J2M says, what do you think of the new offensive and defensive coordinator hires made by Clark Lee? Does the lack of experience bother you? No, I'm impressed with what they're doing. Um, I don't know Clark either, although I knew his dad. His dad used to be the uh, team doctor of the sounds when I was involved in their broadcasts. Uh, I like what they're doing. I think uh, I think he's making a lot of sense with what he's doing. Can, can I go back, though, on the question the guy just asked? Of course. Okay, I got I to gotta tell you a funny story. So, <coughs> excuse me, the night that Shane Foster went off, I gave my two tickets to Jeff Fisher, and he took Mike Heimerdinger with him. And so Foster just goes absolutely nuts. And about three days later, uh, we had Jeff Fisher on the show. And I don't know, we got into the draft board. You know, this was in March, and the draft then was in April. And we were asking him, um, you know, about certain people and what do you look for, you know, on the draft board. And all of a sudden, being a smart aleck, I just said, is Shane Foster on your draft board? And Fisher laughed, and he said, no, but he should be. <laughs> oh, that was so much fun. To, I was on my honeymoon, so I didn't get to see that game. But I remember, <laughs> I remember opening the email and, and getting the news release and going, holy cow. And, and of course, you watch the video later. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the few games that I missed around that time. But uh, 
that that one is fun to to pull up on YouTube every now and then and watch just the the flurry of threes back to back to back. Well, here's the one, and and you're really good at doing this, is to rate what are the all time best Vanderbilt player performances in that gym. Okay, I I, I would argue there certainly have not been more than maybe two over the years. And and to be honest, I'm having a hard time thinking of who any of them would be. You know, is it possible that that's the single best performance that a Vanderbilt player ever had in that gym? I mean, without doing the research and, you know, right now I've got big, you know, mental block uh, about who had a great night kind of deal in that gym, but there aren't many that were better. I'm thinking of the best performances I ever saw in that gym. I think Billy McCaffrey dropped 30 and 15 assists on Kentucky when Kentucky came in here and was number one. Was that when Patino got thrown out? I think so. That was pretty special. Um, On the other end, Wesley Person dropped what, 40-something on Vanderbilt one night for Auburn? Oh, I think it was Chuck. I, I thought, it, I I thought it, was. it was Wes. I could be wrong, but maybe maybe it was. What was it before the three-point shot? So you want a funny story on why I'm almost certain it's Chuck? Sure, I, you may be right. I mean, it, it seems like it was Chuck, but I'm going back and looking. Uh, Chuck's last year was 85-86 at Auburn. I was thinking it was after that. But whoever it was had a heck of a game. I don't remember why, but I ended up, if I remember correctly, I ended up getting to do that game, uh, even though I was Vandy's color announcer at the time. This was uh, this was before I went on to Memphis State. And person had, oh, I don't know, it was like 42, and about 35 of them were in the second half, and one of them, he shot from the student section. It was absurd how hot he was. Well, he got drafted by the Indiana Pacers in the first round. And coincidentally, the Indiana Pacer play-by-play job came open that summer. And I contacted Coach Newton and I said, hey, I, I, want, I want to try to go after that. Well, to Coach Newton's credit, he never looked at me and said, are you kidding? They're not going to hire you. And so he had a friend, the, the longtime Pacer executive, uh, who I think at the time was their uh, GM, Donnie Walsh. And Chris, I will never forget as long as I live. I, I sent the Pacers the tape of person going off. You know, I thought this will get their attention. They're going to know who I am. Because they're going to hear this tape and go, damn, you know. Well, <laughs> I was—I'll never forget this. I had an apartment at the time. I was about three or four years out of college, and I remember I was watching one of the Cubs games when WGN used to be on in the daytime, and Harry Carey would be on. And I'm watching the Cubs play somebody, and I get a phone call. And, you know, I'm, I'm laying on the ground, you know, on the floor in the den. And all of a sudden the call on the other end says, 
George, this is Donnie Walsh, Indiana Pacers. And, man, I rose to attention. I was like, oh, my God, this man is calling me. And uh, that's my story. Did he ask your opinion on Chuck Person? <laughs> no, and he didn't offer me their play-by-play job. And uh, the rest, shall we say, is history. Well, I looked it up. It was Chuck Person, indeed, from 85 to 86. I, I was thinking it was later than that, but you're right. And it was the year before the three-point shot. He scored 40 points. That might oh, be – Oh, was unreal. That might be the that, – that's that's top five easily. Um, you know, I'm trying to go back and find if there's any Chris Jackson game logs. Well, I, I'm going to give you one. Uh, Johnny Newman at Ole Miss had about – 50 on them, but this is back in the early 70s. Uh, Newman was sort of the Pete Maravich wannabe back then. And I don't really know what kind of numbers Maravich may have put up at Memorial Gym. Dan Issel, I remember, had a big monster game late 60s, right around 1970 for Kentucky against Vandy. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not old enough to remember Clyde Lee. So, you know, there's some people that can probably, you know, take me to school on a game Clyde Lee may have had, um, Will Purdue had a couple of monster nights in that gym. Um, but I doubt there are many that, that go past what Shane Foster did. For part of a game, the night that Ross Neltner outscored Kentucky for 10 or 12 minutes by himself was quite interesting. You know, I'll give you one more, and and you'll be like, where'd you pull this out of? UT Martin almost beat Vandy one year, and I don't remember how long ago this was, with a young guy who was a phenom, Lester Hudson. Remember that name? Yeah, the kid had a triple, or excuse me, a quadruple double earlier in the year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lester Hudson was phenomenal. Um, I don't remember what year it was, or, you know, I want to say 15, 20 years ago, probably. I think it's been 10 or 12. Lester Hudson played 2008 to 2009. Okay, so it's been closer so right around uh, just a couple of years after Shane Foster. I think the thing, the game that Person put up may be the best game I've ever seen there because that was without the three-point line and a lot of those were going to be three-pointers. I think the McCaffrey game against Kentucky was pretty special too. Chuck Person was a stud. Yeah, uh, he... I, I will say this, Chris. When I was in school there, we used to be able to play you know, rec ball, um, you know, pickup games at Memorial Gym, which was really cool. And it, it really felt cool until one time I got dunked on, and then I didn't think it was so cool. George, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Tell folks where they can find your show, anything that you want to promote on air this week. The floor is yours to do that. Sure. Uh, we're on Monday through Friday. 2 to 4 p.m. on uh, 560, which is uh, WNSR on the AM dial. Uh, We're also on 95.9 on FM. And I have a Twitter account, which seems to have shocked everybody. 
and the Twitter handle is George Plaster TN. Thank you, George. Chris, thank you, and and I hope everybody stays safe. Uh, I got a feeling over the next 48 to 72 hours, it's going to be hairy around here. So drive safely if you have to get out. Yeah, it already is. All right, well, he's George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We've got several of these coming later this week.